Hello and welcome to the Reroll Multiple Martial Arts Podcast, where we discuss the intersections between martial arts, society, and culture. I'm Elliot. I'm Danny. And Danny, what's been on your mind? Well, I was thinking about where we left off um, in our last talk. Um, the, the subject was romanticism in, in martial arts, but it was more accurately romanticism in uh, professional martial arts slash MMA. And as we ended our talk, I felt that we, you know, we, we, um, we have some directions that we could kind of think about that may be of interest. I know for me, I'd like to kind of get opportunities to share them with you and see what you think about, um, you know, kind of reflecting on, on the sport. I, I think uh, you and I are both fans of MMA and we've been, um, close enough i think to the martial art space of the actual like gym that we get to see people as they walk toward that direction um one of the things i was curious about is that part that you mentioned toward the end of our last conversation that there's just a lot of stuff that people don't see so i'd like to maybe think about asking you what do you see? What, what are some of the things that you have seen in the gym that you feel isn't highlighted enough or at all? Wow. At all that, that, that most people don't see. Um, I think, I mean, I mean, the, p- people kind of joke about it a lot. I mean, different diets and then how everybody reacts differently to diets and which, which also is um, directly connected to, you know, m- making money, you know, got to have good, good, healthy calories. And um, in order to, to, to make that happen, having maybe a nutritionist, you know, that that's, that's part of a fight team. Um, I think, I, I think, I think that's, that's huge. Um, and having the ability to visit different gyms as part of a fight camp, traveling around, so you have different partners, um, and I don't know what, what, what are those some of the, th- the things that you're thinking about? Yeah. I'm reflecting on just this, that like, um, I've been training in different fields, but I, I don't, I don't think I really saw the, the professional MMA, uh, track till I entered jujitsu and Muay Thai or slash MMA gyms. So that when I did Shotokan Karate, I remember those that were really top competitors. And I remember their commitment, their schedule. I even remember how in the gym, uh, the dojo, most teachers would say, if one of us is competing, everyone is competing. So it would highlight the intensity ridiculously. But I want to speak on something that I think is interesting. Well, I hope it's interesting to hear. And that's just the, to return to the romanticism of it, of when we see MMA fighters, I think we're seeing something like boxers. And I grew up watching boxing with my grandfather and my dad. And it was always around boxing. But even boxing, I never understood like how it works. I knew that there were boxing gyms and that people's dreams 
you know, could be found in that space. And that's what I want to talk about. And I, I want to talk about it that way. People's dreams in MMA. So like, for example, um, we've, you know, every weekend or so, you know, we might be watching MMA fights and hardly ever are they really vulnerable in how they speak honestly. But almost everyone knows how vulnerable they are. So they'll say something like this. This is so-and-so's last opportunity to really show that he or she belongs here. You know what that means? That means they're, they're telling you your dreams. You only got one more fight. You got to show me that you belong here or else we're letting you go. But at that point, they're already on the, on the major show, on the big show. I want to think about this. We don't get to see them the first day they went to an MMA gym. The first day they did their sparring session and they were clumsy. Um, I got a chance a couple of times, um, mainly in jujitsu, to work out with young people that were on their way. And it says that that's what they told me. I'm going to be an MMA fighter. And what was interesting is that, like, I never felt that I was any athlete level like competitor but by circumstance in jiu-jitsu in particular if you have been training longer your odds of submitting the other person are higher i just want to say it that way and there was this one guy uh that i remember awesome person really and he's about my weight so i want to say that that i don't think it was completely just the fact that i had more skill but i was able to use my skill um, anyway, the point is that like, I remember he would go so hard. I mean, like when, when we would spar, it was to a level like nine to 10, no one in the gym ever sparred with me like that, mm. but I would always end up catching him in something and something pretty gnarly, which was really weird. Cause he was so committed. And, and that's what I'm saying. Like most of the times I get things, I get them within like a safety, like I'm going at level five. So you and I know that like. Um, anyway, I just remember like it was always weird, like how I had his arm pinned and I'm I'm yanking and I was never not yanking to hurt. I'm just kind of like holding on to it and he wouldn't give up, you know, and he would get really frustrated. I mean, really angry because one, I was older than him. So he's like, how can this old man be tapping me out Two, I don't think he understood what we were doing there. Like, he's like, I trained. He trained somewhere else. He did Muay Thai. He did conditioning. He was on his way. In fact, I got a chance to actually see his, his promo fights. I never got to see him, but I saw his, uh, his, his, uh, his entry into the amateur rounds of uh, MMA promotions. But he was really upset. And I could only think about this. Like, he was what I saw as like, hey, I'm only seeing you on, on day one. It wasn't day one. It was months, but literally I felt it's like, you're, you're still a white belt. And he was a white belt still. And I was like, next time I see you, you're going to be a blue belt. And chances are, I probably, I probably won't be able to tap you out. Like when, when you're a purple belt, if you're going like this at this level, you're going to pass me up, you know, in two years. And I think that's what people don't see. Like we see the fighters when they're good. We never see them when they're awful. <laughs> and that's what I thought about right now when I was asking you, what is it they don't see is we don't see their journey. 
And we don't see that everyone has a starting point. So, for example, things like social media highlights um, is, a, is a total highlight reel, what they're doing, what they're achieving. Look at me after the gym. But the other steps, you know, we, 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 see, we see step, you know, 15, but we don't see steps 3 to 14, for example. And I think, I think that is huge because um, I think there's so, so many details. It's not only, um, you know, training, it's also promoting your image and yourself. And so, you know, I, I did for, for a couple of my coaches who, who did, uh, some, some, uh, pro stuff, you know, I, I did some short promo videos you know, for free to, to help them out because I think it's good. I think um, they need all the hype that they, they can get. And, you know, I want to be supportive. You know, that's one, just one way for me, for me to show, you know, that I appreciate them as, as coaches. And so I think, you know, and, and they're, they're entrepreneurs pretty much, you know, their, their name, their brand, you know, their support, you know, they're promoting it. You know, it's, it's almost like, I hate to say it, it's almost like a battle of the bands, is your band good enough or catchy enough? And are you, do you have enough draw? And a lot of promotions, they kind of rely on that. Oh, you can bring 50 people. All right, we'll, we'll do it again. Oh, you can only bring about 10 or 12. Uh, I'm not sure. So there's a lot of small politics like that, even on a very local level, or if you're starting off in a bigger promotion. I think that's really important to highlight. Yeah, that's actually a good transition on the politics of the sport because I was expressing my understanding of seeing fighters on their way to become better. Mm. Um, and as you mentioned, uh, the, the highlight reels shows them when they're good, great even. But we don't have a lot of videos of their first day of Muay Thai, first day of jiu-jitsu, first day of wrestling, when you look awful, you're almost embarrassed when you go home. You're like, how could I have gotten beat up so bad? I thought I had new stuff, you know? But I, I find that the other part that's missing about this sport, uh, entertainment profession that we call MMA is the politics of it, as you mentioned. Um, I was able to, to be around a couple gyms in, in, in the MMA space and Muay Thai space and Jiu-Jitsu space that were connected. And by connected is that they knew that out of that gym, you could get a couple um, beginner amateur promotion fights because they were feeder gyms. And it didn't mean that, it didn't mean that they were uh, fake. Like if you got a, if someone told you like, hey Elliot, you you wanna you wanna fight this weekend? Uh, there's a small uh, Muay Thai promotion that needs a fighter. It it no one's gonna take it easy on you. It's just a good chance, you know. And and if you want to fight, you go yeah, I'll do it. And then you win. And then they go, man, that was a great chance. So let's give them another one. But there's some gyms that uh, if you tell the the coach like, oh, I want to fight this weekend coach goes oh yeah go look look go look for it <laughs> you know because i don't have any connections uh, 
And then the other part is what you mentioned, the politics of even branding and likability. And that's what we've seen more and more is that um, the the ratings, the rankings are a mix of fight um, history, but also uh, your social media presence as a branding uh, attraction, uh, physically even, like, are you likable? Things that that you would imagine shouldn't matter if you're a fighter, but they completely matter if it's an entertainment profession. And I think those are the things that that don't get seen much. Um, and maybe the the conversation that that uh, most people have been catching is just that that there is a veil or a divide between what we see and what happens in like in their individual lives. So that like. Um, boxing was always like that like we knew the the gossip of the fighters we knew that so and so um went bankrupt but we didn't know a lot of the other stories of the boxers for example that are used to tune up the other ones that means they're never gonna get a a a title fight they're fighting a lot and making money to pay their bills but that's their only role it's like help elliot on his way (laughs) you know tune them up fight them, give, give them a, I mean, they, I don't think they were designed to be like, like my dad used to call them like potato sacks where they just fall over, but they weren't, they were always, they were always the underdog every time, you know? And I think we, we see that in, I've caught it once or twice, even in the big promotion, like UFC, where you kind of think of the matchup. You're like, this doesn't seem right. These two people should not be fighting, but one of them, I think, wants to be promoted and the other one doesn't. Mm. No, I think that there's a lot of... Um, it's a, I, th- I think about this a lot. think about this a lot, about how, how people... Um, see, the, in, in boxing, there's a lot of padding. You know, like, like you go pro and they, the boxer who has the advantage, they get fed uh, underdogs. And that's how people get, you know, uh, really, really good records. And there's ways to, 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 to getting around it. I mean, you know, yes, Mayweather is fantastic. One of the best, but he didn't fight everybody in their prime. And I'm going to say that. And that's one of the biggest um, criticisms of him, you know, and there's other people like uh, Lord Sila, Lord Sila from, from Thailand one of the best you know, people call him the Mayweather of, of, of Muay Thai, but it should actually be the, you know, Mayweather should be called the Lord Sila of boxing because Lord Sila, he had uh, at one time, one he won 100 consecutive fights. And these aren't always padded fights in Muay Thai. You know, no one has a perfect um, re- record because it's, it's impossible. Everybody, fights the best because you want to be the best and uh, people fight to eat you know that's that's their thing i mean even people like uh sanchai they're not making they're not rich you know people would be surprised how much you know a high caliber fighter like him gets paid i mean he's not poor but he is definitely not rich in monetarily um but yeah, but 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 um, you know, I I think there's you know with, with the politics of 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 professional fighting, I feel like 
yeah, there, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of little details and um, that, that that can make or break somebody's career. Uh, I, I, yeah, so many, and even even uh, your, somebody's management. You know, talking about how to um, negotiating contracts and and things like that. That is huge. You know, I see some um, so, some of the UFC uh, payouts. Some of the, the, the some of the some of the matchups you see, you know, what one fighter got might get ten thousand more than another, and it's almost purely because of management negotiations. We see that in boxing also, mm-hmm. where like it's uh, you know, like four to one, you know, quantity. You know, like I make, I make four hundred grand, not four hundred grand, but like four hundred million. Another person makes a hundred million. Um, I know those are the extreme cases. I'm just thinking about McGregor's case, but uh, the other ones were like when I would see Manny Pacquiao fight. You know, he makes 26 million. The other one makes uh, seven. Uh, we saw the the Reese fight and Johnson. I think um, the heavyweight uh, from England a while back. I think uh, Reese. The, the, the setup, I think, was like 12 million. Another person made like 70 million. Uh, but it goes like that. It's like, well, um, I need you to fight me. But the setup goes like this. Like, you're not going to make the same amount of money as I'm going to make. Because you're not, as you mentioned, you're not the, you're not the star of the show. You're just lucky <laughs> to get a shot. And I'm thinking like, yeah, that kind of makes sense uh, in the ridiculousness of the game but it doesn't make any sense in what we could talk about uh equity right i mean like we think about like for example workers rights and and that's how it works like we're, we're used to that uh gaslighting where they tell you like you're just lucky to have a job so it doesn't matter that you um are making one hundredth of what i make as an as a owner of this shop I'm, I'm giving you your job. And you're like, yeah, but if I didn't work, you wouldn't make the 100 times amount of profits. And and, and I think in, in the UFC in particular, as the, the major promotion, there is a moment that is coming, which is um, understanding that, that uh, fighters are um, workers, are people that have to be addressed from a, a working analysis, employer, employee analysis. And I think that it gets complicated because the way that I see it is that when I was meeting the people that were on their way, like when I told them like, what, you know, when we asked like, why are you here? Or, or they would just say like, I'm here cause I'm doing jujitsu. Cause uh, you know, I want to get well-rounded in my MMA career. They never talk like I talked. They never said, oh, you know, I'm about workers' rights. But, you know, they do speak about, like, I think it's fair that if if I'm putting my life on the line, my, my arms, my body, I should get more than just 10%. You know, what about 20? What about 30? And and the conversation could be even turned upside down. What night, why not 90? I mean, you are the lead. But then, but then in music, it wasn't even like that, you know, to talk about how you mentioned like band, battle of the bands, musicians, they should be 90 and 10% for everybody else. But it's, I think it, it was the opposite. It was probably under 
yeah with record sales and stuff like that yeah <laughs> totally i mean i think um jump jumping off what you said uh danny um andrew yang the the the, the popular person in politics right now um he is a an mma fan huge ufc fan he practice practices uh, martial arts and he is um one of his aims is to apply the Muhammad Ali uh, Boxing Reform Act um, and apply those rules into uh, mixed martial arts um, because you know boxing for a long time there was a lot of a lot of shady deals going on and you know I think there's been a lot of uh, criticisms lately with how UFC um, pays their and and pays and manages their 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 people. And so, for for example, like you said, about ten to eighteen percent of UFC's total revenues go to the fighters, as opposed to fifty uh, percent um, in many other major sports. And so, uh, yes, there are some huge people, um, huge names, like like you know Khabib, Connor, and all those people making millions. But you know, some of the other fighters, no, not not so much. They're they're struggling. You know that. They, they they got bills, you know. I think uh, Kamara Usman said his first fight he got paid twenty thousand dollars, and uh, which sounds like a lot, but after he said after two weeks after bills and everything, he was back in the same place. It was it was he basically had almost nothing, and so we really have to take into consideration, you know, that, that a lot of these fighters, you know, they get paid a few times a year. And they're relying on that with their whole fight camp and everything. And it's, it's, it's expensive to be a fighter. It is. And it is part of where we are now. I think, um, I think we are entering the, the full generation of, of women and men that are realistically uh, able to make a, a choice that this is a profession they want to enter. Because when I was a little kid in my neighborhood, when kids fantasize of being a professional athlete, it was baseball, basketball. Um, I think those were the major ones. Oh, football. Those were the three. No one said boxing, even though there was always an Olympic boxer that made it out. And we got to know, like my dad was a big boxing fan, but surprisingly, I never knew anyone that said I wanted to be a boxer, even though they, they, in our, in our imagination, they were the rich ones. We knew that like there was, there was movies about boxing, like for example, Rocky, think about that. Like he, it's a rags to riches story, but surprisingly, Elliot, what I find funny is, or maybe, maybe it's just my circle is that we weren't fantasizing about being boxers. To make it, you know, to make it big, like, oh, when I'm big, uh, an adult, I'm gonna be a famous boxer. But we were fantasizing about like basketball, football, you know, because that's what we saw. But I think where we are now is that um, there are kids. I remember being um, taking my daughter years ago to an MMA gym, and uh, there was this young girl her age, and she had a Ronda, a Ronda Rousey uh, rash guard. So that was her persona. Like they were little, 10, nine years old. And, and this little girl was like rocking that, that rash guard because it was, that was her 
team effort. You know, like for example, how we used to play with teams, and and I thought like, what if in her mind she's like, when I grow up, I'm gonna be an MMA fighter. So now that means that we have a generation of people that that um, have that in their in their mental template, but also we have uh, an economic and maybe even labor sector and legal issues to talk about. Like, are these professionals going to be treated? I mean, as the professionals they are, or are we still going to be treating them how we did? 20 years ago, which was just like an exhibition match of let's see who's toughest. Yeah, definitely. And as the UFC and other MMA promotions get more international, I mean, it's I, I think about the exchange rate too. you know, how $50,000 here in the US is different than $50,000 USD in another country. And so, you know, how are those fighters, you know, what are the conversations overseas? You know, how are they seeing this? And so, I, I think about that too, you know, and but I think it's really amazing to see um, a, a, a lot of people outside of the states, you know, fighting UFC in, in, in particular. I think it's super exciting, and it really kind of um, disrupts the the whole, you know, um, you know, American the 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 the, the stereotype of of, of the, the the typical MMA fighter, you know, which is you know started off, you know, you think of all the classic. You know, guys that I you know I I thought were super cool, and now it's like oh no, the, the face has changed. You know, it's it's more international, and it I think it I think and I hope it helps people to think globally and think, you know, accepting of more cultures and say hey, you know what I respect. Um, you know, I, th- I think of I think of Khabib. You know how he is like one of the most famous Muslims in the world, and how how do you know the 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 average american think of average i guess mma fan think of him and see him and i i really hope that it helps people um th- think of think of think of things more diversely for lack of better words so yeah yeah i think the the global context is interesting to consider its effects i i'm going to return a little bit to that talk about labor just because I was thinking about something that you said that um, as we think about being critical of the sport that many of us appreciate so that like I see these fighters and more and more all I can think about is like are they okay and and by okay I mean like I think at one point you said it yourself uh, like do they have something to fall back on um, and for many of them, I would say no, because you can't. I mean, I'm thinking about the ones that I met. Uh, one is they were really young. I'm saying like 20 to 25. And when I was 20 to 25, I had nothing to fall back on. And the sense that like I was a student, but that was my journey, if it makes sense. Like I was doing the same thing that they were doing. It's like I'm investing now so that hopefully one day I get a position where I don't have to do this, you know, I mean, like keep being a student. And for them, they're like, I hope I can stop being this person that is new and start winning matches and start getting paid. That was the line. I want to get paid. Now, in terms of this conversation of the global context, it is interesting to consider that 
a lot of us, that's how we are. We're, we're fighting the effects of a global economic sector. And it's interesting to me to consider fighters within that model. I mean, it's weird because I, when I think about globalization and um, workers' rights, I think about factory workers, uh, migrant workers, international um, workers that sell, sell their labor across countries to send it back to their home. And now I'm going to include fighters in that as you, because I'm thinking about this. I just saw a video. It was Dana White. I forgot the, the fighter's name, but he was giving him his $50,000 bonus in cash in a bag, like a, a nice white bag. Like the, anyway, it doesn't matter, but it's like a, the type of a gift bag. So he didn't just throw it on him like that, but it was a nice little gift bag. And the end of, and it's just uh, cold cash, probably hundred dollar bills, you know, stacks, 50 grand. Okay. It looks like a lot of money because it's like two bags and I would love to see those bags, you know, <laughs> like give me one of them, but in the grand scheme, and I sound this, I sound like I'm probably super wealthy and I'm not, but 50 grand doesn't do a lot. Uh, even for me, who's like working class folk, like it would pay probably for a whole year of my rent, you know, it, and, and food. But that's it. And I know that's a lot. I mean, I would dream to having someone pay for a whole year of that stuff. But it doesn't transform my life. So that next year I'm back where I was before if I don't know how to keep working hard. But the point being here is that the fighter was from Brazil. So those 50 grand in the US and Florida and Nevada, they're a great bonus, but they're not transformative. They're not even gonna help me like set up my children completely. Maybe they help a little, but not enough that I can say, you know, my daughter will never have to worry about college from this point forward. No, because I'm gonna have to pay out. If I'm lucky, maybe I keep half of it. And even then, that 25 grand, it's not going to send my daughter to college. But what happens if I live in Brazil? At that point, I think what you stated is that it's completely different. Those 50 grand maybe do set up my daughter to go to college if I live in Brazil. And now I'm thinking about the fighters in Florida with, you know, versus the fighters in Brazil and the fighters in China how does this global market, you know, intersect with the type of talk that many of us have, which is like labor rights? No, absolutely, absolutely. I think, I think, uh, and and I, I think about this a lot. You know, how people come from some countries where freedom of speech and freedom of press is um, not really uh, accessible. And then, you know, moving to the States and I'm like, wow, like, I don't know, just, 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 just thoughts. Right. But it's, it's, it's interesting how, um, you know, people from other countries, you know, they start moving um, either permanently or, or maybe long-term to Las Vegas or the States to train. And, I'm, I'm, you know, it's, it's interesting because, you know, uh, other than tourism, there is really nothing much in Vegas. And I'm also thinking, 
with all these people, athletes moving to Vegas, how how is that going to transform the economy of Vegas? And because you have a huge influx of, of of athletes, what do they need? What you know? What? what how is that going to transform? You know, in in about ten years. So, I think that's that's uh something to 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 see unfold. Going going back to 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 our our conversation, what are we trying to achieve in this conversation today? I think just. Uh, expressing some of the ways that when we watch these sports uh, events, um, for some of them as an audience, it's just on that day so that we don't see them um, as vulnerable people. And others, like myself, I see them as vulnerable people because one is sometimes you can hear them. You can hear them say something like, this is my last shot. Um, I was watching one of the fights recently and the, and the fighter was like, I've been here for 10 years trying to make it. This is my, my day. You know, I'm on the big show and I'm going like, yeah, you're, that's a long journey, 10 years to make it. But one of the things that I was thinking more, more directly about this conversation, as I kind of reflect on what we talked about is that like, I have been more and more seeing them as members of our group of workers so that like whenever we talk about people a lot of us really do the us you know so that when when the fight for 15 was uh happening um i was no longer working in retail um when that happened and it's still in it's still in uh in, in moving forward right now but i was like um i felt that i remembered being that kid that said you know I work in retail and I think I deserve a little bit more than this, knowing that like my efforts are generating so much wealth for this company. Um, And even when I think about international workers' rights, um, migrant work, that to me started connecting right now, that like thinking about how these fighters, they're, they're part of that conversation of the migrant labor force. I know it's maybe seems too silly because we see them as superstars, but like not everyone's a superstar. It's only one out of the other nine that are right there waiting in the shadows. So that's what I'm getting out of it. That like these people are part of a collective class of workers that need that level of consideration. And with that said, this has been the Reroll Multiple Martial Arts Podcast, where we discuss the intersections between martial arts, society, and culture. Until next time, bow.